The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Well, uh, bootleg sleepaway camp is in full effect. It's 9.30 at night. We've got beers. We have a fake LED uh, campfire type thing going on. We're telling ghost stories, which is really just listing off every receiver that Bill Belichick has ever drafted. So uh, it's a good night to talk Patriots, EJ. Boo! <laughs> Ooh, Nikhil <laughs> Harry! Ooh! Aaron Dobson! Oh, Ooh. We're just short marshmallows. <laughs> Aaron Dobson, wow. I know. That is a blast from the past. <laughs> One of many. Yeah. Anyway, Patriots fans already turned this episode off, so to all the Jets fans that stuck around, what's up? <laughs> These fucking guys. <laughs> Click. Uh, we have a lot of positive things to say about the Patriots today. Um, there are plenty of issues with the team. We're not going to blow smoke up your ass. There's There are things that are wrong, but there's also a lot more things that are right than they're given credit for. For one, uh, this defense is going to steal a lot of lunch money uh, this year. <laughs> they are fast. They are tough. They're aggressive. They're versatile. Uh, this will be a defensive-oriented ball club. Doesn't mean the offense is toothless, though. I think Mac Jones, uh, with the return of actual competent offensive coaching, <laughs> is also going to surprise some people. So uh, there's a lot of good to go over, as well as a little tiny little bit of bad as well uh, but mostly good and, and i think that's our overall message today is that the patriots still are a good football team so hopefully you stick with us during this entire episode we have a lot to go over uh and with that jay autumn anthony roll the intro Welcome back once again to the Blue Lake Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder, talking Patriots on this beautiful, was it Wednesday night? Yeah, it's Wednesday. Summer evening. I'm just going to summer evening. Day ending Days blend together at this point. <laughs> uh, but it is nighttime. It is summer. It is gorgeous. It's perfect weather. We're outdoors. No, it doesn't look like it, but we are outdoors. Talking Patriots. Uh, as we alluded to, very fascinating team. Very misunderstood team, but also, if you like a certain brand of football, very entertaining team. Love to watch the defensive side of this ball club. I think I'm going to love to watch the offensive side more. It was a real struggle last year. You alluded to the fact that the offensive coaching was not competent, and that is the kindest thing that you can say about it. 
It was abysmal. It has changed. They have a return to not only competence, but um, I think real excellence. Bill O'Brien, still an excellent football coach. We got to see him. It was like the second day that after it was announced at Shrine? Uh, like, I think it actually was the first day of practice because I remember it got announced that Bill was coming to be the OC because he was literally getting off the plane yep. at the Shrine Bowl at the little private airport that's right next, like literally right across the street from the practice field. And all the media was out there. And if Bill O'Brien just showed up and started running receiver drills, everyone would be like, what's going on here why is bill here so literally that morning right before practice they like let it slip to it's like Rappaport or something like that it's like oh by the way o'brien's yeah. our oc bill's back <laughs> and 20 minutes later he was coaching zay flowers <laughs> we're like okay all right sure. look bill's here and everybody's like yeah i know he's gonna be the oc we were like all all right yeah good change overall for the patriots last year they struggled quite a bit on offense we'll talk about that but we don't expect it to continue this year on defense they were stellar last year this is a really good team on defense that if you enjoy defensive football is a ton of fun to watch bunch of stars over there bunch of ass kickers guys that fly around to the ball um they've sort of always had that and look this defense is full of what i would call patriot types um so that's not changed but uh we'll talk a little bit more about the offensive side today because we think the pieces are in place to have that not only return but be sneaky and grab some wins. Demario Douglas, wide receiver six on your depth chart, wide receiver one in your hearts, folks. <laughs> circle, I do him, circle him on your program. But we'll talk a little bit about 2022. We'll keep it brief because we realize it was painful overall record in 2022 for the Patriots, eight and nine, third in the division. Four and four at home, four and five on the road, very identical records, home and away. Uh, last five games, two and three, didn't exactly finish strong, but that was emblematic of their entire season. Also emblematic of their entire season, uh, as we talked about, strong defense. And we we went through the Jets yesterday and we're like, oh my God, this defense was so good. And they were 16th in run defense EPA, and I think they were like fifth in pass defense EPA. Uh, as good as the Jets were on defense, the Patriots were significantly better. Talking two top four finishes in both run defense and pass defense EPA. This defense wasn't just great. They were unbelievable last year. And that was before they got the talent infusion in this year's draft. Suffocating is a really good way to put it. This year on the podcast, we've got the effectiveness summary for every team. We go over rushing offense, passing offense, rush defense, pass defense, all basically graded or figured by EPA per play and their league rank. We talk about points scored and points allowed. So we'll start with the not good numbers. Rushing offense, 28th. Good players couldn't get it done. Passing offense, not much better 26th and in the modern nfl that's pretty much a death knell to your chances of winning football games flipping over to the defensive side that we alluded to at the top of the podcast rush defense fourth pass defense second mm -hmm. this was a sneaky good team people stopped watching this team because of the win total what they missed was an absolutely obliterating defense for the entirety of the year they played strong down the stretch. Points scored, 17th. Eh. Points allowed, 
11th, almost a top 10 scoring defense as well. So if you take those six numbers, add them up, and divide by six, you get our bootleg power score. For the Patriots, it was 15. That places them in ninth overall. And I think if you look at most people and say, hey, do you think the Patriots were a top 10 football team last year? They'd say no, because look, bottom line, it's an offensive league points, sell tickets and ad revenue. Patriots didn't score a lot of points. A lot of people didn't watch. They missed out on what was a really strong football team. They're basically the bizarro Vikings. Yes, because the Vikings, uh, God, what were they like? Eighteenth in power, in like raw power score, something like that. They were like below average in raw power score, but won thirteen games because they had a horseshoe shoved up their ass the entire year, <laughs> or a four leaf clover. I don't know, whatever, whatever's lucky in Norse culture. Like that was a ridiculously fortunate team. The Patriots were the exact opposite, and. They were good. Like the bones of the house are really good. And they got rid of the mold infestation that was <laughs> the offensive coaching staff. But again, the foundation and the bones are still there. Like it's a great defense. On paper, their run game should have been better. If it was competently coordinated, it would have been better. Their quarterback in the past has played very well when, again, he was competently coordinated. I do think that there's just a lot there, and I think these EPA numbers illustrate that. Like, this was a top 10 football team that finished below 500 record. How often does that happen? Not very often. And, like, the fact that they were 28th in rushing offense EPA and 26th in passing offense EPA and still 17th in points scored? Like, can we talk about that? Like, what? And I know a lot of that was defensive points and special teams points, but still, like, that's legitimately impressive. To be that bad and that competent. <laughs> that bad and that good at the same time. Like in, they were 10th in, in point differential. What the hell? Yeah, and 10th or sorry, 9th overall in power score ahead of Steelers, ahead of Packers, ahead of the Giants, ahead of the Dolphins. Mm -hmm. If you'd said, you know, just within the AFC East, who had a better power score, the Patriots or the Dolphins? I'd say probably 90% of NFL fans would be like, oh, it's Dolphins for sure. And They're for way better. good reason. They're a way better team. You know, we're not talking about a couple of spots here. You know, they're five spots ahead of their division rival in terms of we really think power score is a good measure of just being a good football team. These are all the things you need to do to be good at football. The Patriots were really good at football in certain areas. I mean, excellent in certain areas and abysmal in others and still averaged out to be a top 10 team overall. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's wild. It's just the actual winning part that was a little bit difficult. They did struggle with that. Uh, looking at scheme stats that you know, hopefully will give a little bit more context for uh, what was going on, especially with the running in the pass game last year. We'll start with the run game. Uh, I remember this series, this time last year, You know, we looked at the Cole Strange pick, we looked at the Pierre Strong pick, we looked at how the offensive line was constructed and the backfield was constructed and what Mac Jones is good at. And, oh, they drafted Tyquan Thornton to be the deep threat and yada, yada, yada. We're like, oh, my God. They're going to run a Kyle Shanahan offense. It's going to be outside zone heavy. It's going to be bootleg heavy. We're taking shots off play action. We're running outside zone over and over and over again because we got Ramondre and we got Cole Strange and he can <laughs> reach block a freaking five technique by himself because he's a freak athlete. Let's go. Nope. 
27th in outside zone. <laughs> we were about as accurate on that call for the Patriots as we were for the Colts' overall record. I think we assumed that Matt Patricia was going to call run plays that fit his personnel, and um, nope, he did not. He Didn't called happen. duo. Uh, <laughs> he called power. He called the stereotypical Patriots gap scheme stuff that we're used to seeing, despite having an actual Ferrari of a left guard in Cole Strange. Um Please make it make sense. I, I, I don't. I really don't understand it. Um, to just mash people up the middle over and over and over again. Like if you're the Lions, you could do that. If you're the Ravens, you could do that because you're bigger and stronger than everybody. For me, you know, Michael and Wenu, notwithstanding, because he is like a block of a human being. But like most of the rest of the Patriots' offensive line to me is built for outside zone. They're built for speed. They're built for finesse. They're built for locking on guys on the second level in space and just completely annihilating linebackers. That's what, on paper, I think they should be good at, and they just won't do it, or at least wouldn't do it Wouldn't do it under the previous staff. So hopefully Bill O'Brien recognizes that and says, we're just going to use our athleticism to our advantage and call at least a little bit more outside zone. I would love that. That's the point is, I don't care. The current ranking for outside zone for last year, 27th in the league. I don't need it to be top 10. I don't need it to be top 12. Like, top 16 or 18 mm-hmm. would be fine because it would be a legitimate threat. We know that they not only have the backs to do it, but certainly they have the offensive line to do it. And anybody that's going, quote-unquote, to the book on the Patriots is going to pull up last year's footage and go, oh, look, they're going to run duo they're going to run counter they're going to run draw they're going to run pin and pull sweet and you hit them with a healthy dose of outside zone it's going to be a really nice change up not only because they're not going to be at they're not going to believe it for one but you've got some folks that have like pierre strong that have real wheels and are excellent in that scheme you're going it's going to be efficient you're going to get gains out of it as well so i would love to see that balance not to mention mac jones as a quarterback Really good at ball handling. Really good, you know, even when his back is to the defense in terms of flipping around quickly and getting his eyes down the field. Like, that's why Kyle Shanahan liked him mm-hmm. as a prospect. Like, he specifically called that out of, like, hey, from a mechanics perspective, he fits what we do. Yeah. So it's like, why are, why are we not unleashing that? I don't know. Well, I think we know why. I know. And, yeah. And God. those reasons are gone. Uh, passing offense overview, by the way. Play action percentage, 26th. Again, you have a quarterback who's really good off play action. Let's call it more than 19%, guys. (laughs) Average time to throw, 14th fastest, um, which because they were so low in play action, kind of goes hand in hand. A lot of it was quick, 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 over and over and over again. Uh, Air yards percentage was pretty much dead average at 52.9%. That was 17th highest in the league. Average depth of target, also pretty much dead average at 8.8 yards. Uh, Big time throw percentage. This is why I still believe in Mac Jones. When he's given an opportunity to throw down the field, he can actually capitalize. They were ninth in the NFL in big time throw percentage at 4.9%. That's good. That's like triple what the Giants were with, with Daniel Jones. So it's like when they actually go for it, they can hit it. They just don't go for it that often. And ultimately, that translates to a yards per attempt at 19th in the NFL at 7.0, which is just not good enough. So hopefully, 
you know, we take uh, take the chains off, Mac a little bit, let him go. Sprinkle in a little bit more play action, mix in a little bit more outside zone. That's going to lend itself to taking some of those deeper shots that he can hit and did hit last year at a top 10 rate in the NFL. If you're just looking at rate, not pure numbers of, you know, amount of them for when he took those shots, he's pretty good at them. And you would figure <laughs> this is the theme for the episode. You would figure that the coaches would want to put the players in that position to succeed. Didn't last year. Think Bill will do more of that this year. That's Bill O'Brien, not Bill Belichick. Especially, you know, when they have a threat who we really did like coming out, Taekwondo Thornton, who can get down the field in a hurry. Hey, you got the weapons. Well, at least a weapon. <laughs> you can do it. Uh, let's flip over to the more fun side of the ball. <laughs> Defense. Uh, a lot of these coverage numbers are going to make complete sense if you watched <laughs> literally any Patriots football at all last year. They were 20th in zero, but third in cover one. This team loves man coverage, always has, always will. Um, they've always believed in uh, get as good a secondary as you possibly can and just beat the absolute crap out of receivers. Uh, and especially if you can get yourself a Darrell Revis or an Aqib Tlaib uh, or a Stephon Gilmore or, dare I say, a Christian Gonzalez, if you can get one of those dudes, abuse it. Abuse it with man coverage. Abuse your advantage that you get by just being better. And I, I think they're well acquainted to do that again this year. A uh, little bit of a changeup. They were fifth in cover two percentage at 18.9%, so they called a lot of cover two. More so as a changeup. And I specifically watched this on tape last night because I knew we were doing this episode today. And I looked at all their cover two snaps. And a lot of it was presenting something else pre-snap and then showing cover two post-snap. Like they were actively trying to trap quarterbacks with a corner that, you know, looks like he's going to beat you up and play man coverage. And all of a sudden he falls off and he's playing the flat and he's waiting for you to like throw a, a, a stick route or something like that. So he can come down and absolutely obliterate your number two. Um, definitely more of a post-snap changeup than, you know, other teams where they are showing cover two pre-snap. They, you know, they're in cover two uh, and, and they're just going to run it over and over again because they can <coughs> 49ers uh, Patriots very different. They would show something else, then play cover two. It was wildly effective. Uh, cover three was also heavy in the rotation. They were 12th in cover three, uh, hence their run defense EPA being so good because that was a very, very dominant early down call for them of either we're playing cover one or playing cover three based on formation. We're getting that extra body down in the box and uh, we're just going to outgap you and, and we're going to trust our guys to win. And usually they did. They were 26th conversely in quarters. They were 30th in quarter, quarter, half. So they were basically the anti-Jets <laughs> running virtually the opposite stuff of them. And they were 20th in two-man. So overall, lots of man coverage, lots of cover three. Cover two is a change-up and just trusting their dudes to be better. The cover two changeup is really interesting, too, because they don't run it. You mentioned 49ers. They don't run it in the same way because they don't have the same athletes in the middle of the field mm -hmm. to carry deep runners. So they they lean into it in slightly different ways. It's like cover two well, for the front half. I, I will contest that because 
they don't do it the same way, or rather, they 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 do it the same way, but with a different position. Duggar. Duggar. Yeah. Yeah. Duggar is their Fred Warner. Yeah. They basically <laughs> rotate the safety down to be the pole runner, which again pulls cover two in a very interesting direction if you're familiar with Tampa two. Um, but again, that late rotation keeps them. It basically gives them a leg up because the offense has to adjust basically at the snap of the ball. Mm-hmm. So a super late rotation and using what I'll call a speed-capable player yeah. that doesn't necessarily come from where you think he's coming from uh, is just a little bit of a wrinkle. And, look, the Patriots are famous for a little bit of a wrinkles that can really throw a wrench in the works for an opposing offense. Duggar is such a good player to me, and he's so fascinating to me because, like, when he's at his best, imagine Tyron Matthew that can take on a pulling guard. That's Kyle Duggar. He is, and I don't use this word lightly, unique in terms of profile. Is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? Is he a nickel? Yeah. (laughs) He's all those things. And uh, they can do things on defense that other teams just can't because they have Kyle Duggar. And I really hope they keep him long term because he is so different than every other DB slash linebacker in the NFL. And I, I think a big reason why they get away with what they play is because they have him. I can't see them letting him go for any reason other than like overconfidence. And he would go to another team for two or three years. And then I think like Patrick Chung, he would return. He would be the prodigal son. He would be back. He would be like, or I was better here. The other possibility, which is maybe even scarier, Marte Mapu is that good. <laughs> if they let Kyle Duggar go without a fight, that means that Marte Mapu is like a superhuman. It's possible, but my favorite combination of that is actually both of them staying. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? Because then you can just do, I don't want to say anything, but like this much short of literally anything. Because you have two players who are true hybrids that can run anywhere from middle linebacker in the box to deep center safety. And be good at all of them. (laughs) <laughs> That's what Mapu played in college. We'll talk about him more when we get to the draft. But the, his position in college was literally middle linebacker to center field safety, and it would swap per down, not per series. They would swap in, like, your linebacker this down, your safety this down, like, and they would just go back and forth. It was uh, some of the most stunning college tape I've seen. Looking at blitz percentages, this was, again, appropriately Patriots. Third and short, they were 11th in bringing pressure. Third and medium, they were 26th. That was actually a pretty heavy uh, either cover two or, like, one rat down for them, so they weren't bringing extra bodies too much. Um, Third and long, though, they cranked it back up. They were 11th in third and long pressure at 39.3%. lot of man blitzes on those downs just because they could. (laughs) And then uh, third down stunt percentage overall. So the percentage of third downs in between the 20s, which I know is hyper-specific, the number of those downs that they ran stunts on was 38.3%, which was 21st. So sounds like a big number, but relative to the rest of the league, especially with some of these teams that were doing it like 60% of the time, it's actually not that crazy. No, and one of the things that stands out to me for both the coverages and the blitz percentages, and we talked a little bit about it with Kyle Duggar, is just how heavy 
all the guys on the Patriots play. And I don't mean like heavy, they can't run. I mean like heavy-handed, high-impact. You talked about Duggar's ability to absolutely stone a guard one-on-one in space and does it over and over again. And it's almost that Marshawn Lynch quality of I'm made out of iron and I hit you and even though it looks like I should go backwards you go backwards because I just have this strangely dense core and their linemen play like that Duggar plays like that Barmore you know they're all just beaters Juwan Bentley is like an actual human coke machine yeah he's literally (laughs) like a little anvil in the middle and and they love him just resign him for big money yeah uh because again they just want dudes who will thump at every position. They want those heavy press man corners. They want defensive linemen who are just going to slug it out the entire game. And they're literally going to beat you up. Like, Belichick loves that approach. He loves that man up and whip the guy across from you first. We'll do the rest of it later. Looking at the power structure overall, this has always been a fun one to attempt to, keyword attempt, to parse out. <laughs> Uh, we're going on how many years in a row of us not being entirely sure who the DC is between Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo. My money's on Gerard Mayo, but there's still Steve is still listed as like co DC at least on our lads. Not that our lads are like the most uh, reliable source, but even they're like I, eh, I don't know <laughs> if they could put a question mark on there like we did, they would. We went full archaeologists on this last year. We got to this point last year, and I put this agenda in front of you, and I was like, I I don't know, man. Do you know? You were like, I don't know either. So we both asked Patriot sources we knew, multiple Patriot sources we knew, and they were like, I'm not sure either. (laughs) And these were guys that are at practice. These are beat reporters that are there every day. And they were like, well, I think this guy might be doing this part, and I think this guy. And I was like, so you don't know. And they're like, nobody really knows. And I was like, nobody? And they were like, no, not really. All I've heard is that Mayo's being groomed to be the successor, yeah. the heir, if you will, mm-hmm. which to me implies he's DC. But at the same time, Steve is heavily involved. And so maybe it's not really a dc and position coach thing maybe it's a there are co-dcs but if there had to be an assistant head coach that wasn't joe judge because joe judge is assistant head coach but really gerard mayo's being groomed to take oh i i don't know this so you got it it's as clear as mud the whole thing top to bottom director of player personnel because they don't have a gm title is matt grow so he helps with that process the head coach and de facto gm bill belichick 48th season as an NFL coach. Let that sink in. Almost five decades as an NFL coach. There's a lot, not a lot of guys. There's a handful of guys that have coached 40 or 50 years total, and that's combining high school, college, pros. 48 seasons in the NFL. Not sure we're going to see that anytime soon again. There's a, a few guys out there that approach that. But very, very few, and with good reason. Belichick, one of the best coaches ever in the NFL. Uh, The assistant head coach, strangely enough, is Joe Judge. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it seems like what the Patriots are telling us, because remember when we there was the questions this time last year of like, who's the OC? Is it Joe Judge? Is it Matt Patricia? Yep. 
And I think the Patriots are telling us through these actions of Patricia was the problem, Joe Judge was fine. Take that as you will. I I don't know. I don't think I'm ever going to know what the hell was really going on, but they are certainly telling us through this that uh, they believe Patricia was the issue and not Judge. And strangely enough, uh, this is historically something that happens with New England coaches. They reach a high level of success in the New England organization. They go elsewhere. They largely bomb out. And then they return to New England. Mm-hmm. And Bill takes them back happily, and suddenly they're good again. Yep. And it's happened over and over and over and over again. And so Joe Judge goes to the Giants. Terrible tenure with the Giants. Any Giants fan will tell you. Happy to see him go. Nice guy, but wasn't working out. Goes back and is now the assistant head coach. Like, just amazingly. Well, look at O'Brien. Said, you know, went to Houston. Was a good head coach for multiple years. And then, you know, got GM powers, you know, won that battle for GM powers because he was trying his hand at being Bill 2.0. And that's when he got into trouble and things fell apart with no small hand in it from Jack Easterby as well, who did not help things at all. But still, like the Bill O'Brien tenure, if he just stayed as head coach, he might still be there. Agreed. Honestly. Yeah. But he just bit off a little bit more than he could chew. Ended up not working out in Houston because of that. Went to the Nick Saban uh, Rehabilitation Center for Coaches. Put together some absolutely ridiculous offenses with Bryce Young. Bada bing, bada boom. Back in New England, OC. Probably be a head coach again in a few yeah, years. And and good again. So offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, Bill O'Brien. He has both titles. Defensive coordinator. We're not even going to take a swing this year. We, we're just going to say we don't know. Um, you know, I think. I think it's mayo. I think it's mayo. Could be mayo. There's two Belichicks on staff. Like, just mix and stir. They're really good. However it works, this isn't an organization that's super transparent, and it doesn't need to be. We talked about it at the top. This defense was excellent. Basically a top five in the NFL defense overall. I don't care if they tell us who runs it or not. I just want to watch it. (laughs) Uh, Do they even have a special teams coordinator listed? I didn't see one. Why do they do this to us? Like, somebody's running it. I think Bill just snickers. It's the same thing he's done with injury designations, right, famously. Like, I don't have to tell you. And they're like, well, you kind of do by rules. And he's like, well, I will when I have to. I thought it was Cam Acord. Maybe it's not. Could be. On our lads, I think it is. Let's look it up. Cam Acord is now listed as the special teams coordinator. Experience six years. Okay, we'll we'll go with that. We'll, well, it's it's official. It's on their website, so we'll take it now. But there was nothing when I looked it up, which didn't surprise me in the least, which is weird. 31 other teams? Like, what do you mean they don't have a special teams coordinator? I get to the Patriots, and I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, the assistant coaches underneath Judge and O'Brien and Mayo slash Belichick and other Belichick and Acord. <laughs> you got to have fun with it. Otherwise, it'll drive you crazy. Assistant coaches. Uh, Troy Brown, wide receiver and kick returners coach, is uh, you know he's been there since 2019. Spent his entire 15 year career as a Patriot, one of the most beloved Patriot players of all time. But the one that I want to bring up the most because uh, we got to watch him up close and personal at Shrine Bowl, go to work with the running backs. That's Vinny Sanceri. He's they got something there 
with Coach Lanceri. Like, he's legitimately a great coach. And his energy was infectious. Watching him, like, coach up young guys in terms of how to handle protections, um, you know, proper footwork, angles of attack, pacing, like, everything that a running back has to know, even though he didn't play running back. I think he was a safety, I think. But his approach to teaching was noticeably refreshing. Um, watching him work with these young guys and understanding the generation gap in terms of like how young guys learn, uh, you know, very concise, very clear, short bursts. You yes. know, we, we talked about teaching yesterday in the Jets episode and how mm-hmm. uh, types of teaching are important. He clearly understands how to teach young players and, and get his message message across effectively without yelling and screaming and doing all the stereotypical fo- football coach shit. Um, I just I think he's a really good coach, and I was specifically locked in on him and his position group um, for an entire day of practice, and I got so much joy watching him do what he does. The reason we do this segment, uh, one of the many reasons we do this segment, is to identify coaches for all of you that are on the rise. And Vinny Sanceri is on a, I don't want to say meteoric rise, but a heavy and short rise. He is going to be um, not only a position coach, he's most likely going to be a coordinator fairly soon. And I would guess one of the younger guys in a head coaching rotation, again, if things break his way, after not too long, we're going to talk about three years from now, five years from now, he's going to be getting those interviews. Uh, as a head coach in the NFL. Again, there's only 32 of those spots, but he just – we talk about it with quarterbacks all the time, the it factor. Mm-hmm. He has it as a coach, and they probably saw that really early on. Again, this is a continuation of the mind meld between the Alabama staff and the New England staff, um, You know, very famously Bill Belichick and um, Nick Saban spend a lot of time together um in the offseason they like to sort of trade notes they also like to trade coaches and players um you know since he played at alabama then he was a ga for one year with saban got the call up to new england after one season in alabama it's been there five years already which seems crazy because it feels like he just came out you know a few years ago yeah oops five um and like you said has a manner when you watch him on the field and, you know, coaching, when it really boils down to it, is teaching. That's that's what coaching is. And he's an excellent teacher. Um, I We've seen really good results out of his position group already in New England. I think that's going to continue. You know, if we get a run game coordinator title in New England, it's probably going to be Vinny Sanceri. That, you know, and if Bill O'Brien, like you said, gets another shot, it's very possible that Vinny Sanceri could be the OC for the Patriots at an extremely young age. All right, so we've gone over the coaches. Uh, we've gone over a couple uh, personnel additions, which we'll get to even more after this. We've gone over the schematic information, both what they did last year and what we think they hopefully, please God, will do <laughs> this year. With all that context, um, looking at where the valuations are with this Patriots offense, pretty much the only player that the public at large seems to believe in right now is Ramondre Stevenson, and for good reason. He's a great running back. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the most talented Patriots backs that we've seen in the last 10, 15 years or so, because he's one of the few guys that I think can actually legitimately do it all. Uh, he is exceptional, and I'm happy that that uh, he's there for Mac Jones to lean on because he's going to be a big, big, big piece of that offense again this year. 
And everybody knows it. He's going as RB9 right now. So you're not getting any discounts on Ramondre Stevenson. After Ramondre, pretty much everything has very depressed value. Like Mac Jones himself is going as QB 31. So he's sitting there as a a bench player. Uh, you know, somebody who's probably not going till like the last round. Let's see, what's his overall ADP? Uh, 209.2. So yeah, he's going like the last few rounds on underdog as just like a flyer. Yeah. Because people just don't believe in this Patriots passing game. They should believe in it more than they do, but I'm just, I'm telling you what the ADP is. Like you're, <laughs> you're getting him at the very, very end of these drafts. Uh, Tyquan Thornton, wide receiver, 78. Juju Smith-Schuster, wide receiver, 55. Devontae Parker, wide receiver, 80. Uh, looking at the tight ends, Mike Kosecki. We like Mike Kosecki. We think Mike Kosecki's really talented. Good red zone target. Jump ball specialist. Really good over the middle. Tight end, 23. So if you think that the Patriots passing game is worth a single shit at all, <laughs> you're going to get value. Because everybody is going significantly later just because they have the little NE next to their name on the depth chart. Um, if there was ever a team <laughs> that you could get the QB1, the wide receiver 1, and the wide receiver 2, and the TE1 at massive discounts, the Patriots are the team to do it. So if you feel like with everything we've told you so far that there's value to be had, and there is. Please go on Underdog Fantasy right now. Use promo code BOOTLEG. They'll match your deposit up to $100. Take advantage of that. Draft these guys super late because you're getting them for free. And somebody's catching the ball in New England. The stink of last year is lingering hard. And it has people spooked. They were like, did you see the mess that that passing offense was? I'm not investing in that. Especially in the pass catchers. You know. Wide receivers, tight ends, doesn't matter. Mac Jones, he's not going to give you a lot of running yards. So if his passing yards are also depressed or continue to be depressed, we don't necessarily think they will. We think Bill O'Brien's going to resurrect those to a point. But look, if you're a Patriots homer and you want to draft the entire Patriots roster, you're going to be able to. You're not going to have to fight anybody for them. You know what the season-long pick'ems totals for Mac are, by the way? I don't. 3,300 passing yards okay. for the season yeah you can go higher or lower on that i would probably go higher because even if i don't think he's going to hit four thousand, i think he's going to hit more than 3300 yeah, it feels close to me like i think he might hit like 35 and that was, would be I go, I go 35 season. yeah right but that's ticklish because if he misses a couple games twists an ankle he's not going to hit it so it's a pretty close line for me it's not one of those that we're like what the 19.5 uh, touchdowns on the season, I can kind of understand that just because I think Ramondre is going to get like everything in the low red zone. So like I get that, um, but 12 and a half interceptions for what at least my familiarity with how Bill O'Brien calls the offense, he doesn't typically expose his quarterback to 12 and a half interceptions. Uh, so that seems a little high for me. I'd probably go lower on that. Feels like last year carrying over again because Mac got frustrated and he started chucking it up because yeah, he but... really sort of disagreed with the coaches. Again, I don't think that's going to continue. So that one, I would jump on the under. Because O'Brien, 
what he does really well is gives his quarterback answers Mm -hmm. to get out of trouble. He doesn't just call rigid concepts and say, read it out and throw it, because that's how young quarterbacks get into trouble and throw bad picks. He will give Mac answers at the line of scrimmage of like, hey, if you get a look that you don't like, go into this. Like, here's how you get in and out of a play where you can get more favorable leverage or a more favorable matchup. Like, here's your get-out-of-jail concepts. They always have, like, every single week they go into uh, a game with, like, five or six one-word calls that if we really got to hit the panic button, we can say this one word and everybody on the offense knows what we're doing. And we've repped it a thousand times, so we know every single permutation of it from every single formation, every single personnel grouping. And like that's how he keeps his quarterbacks out of trouble is he gives them answers at the line of scrimmage. So 12 and a half interceptions is just it's too high. I'd probably go lower on that. Uh, Ramondre, we talk so much about Ramondre being great. His season long rushing yards total that you can go higher or lower on is 925. For how much he's going to get fed the ball? Mm, a little low. I'd say, again, it's a little low. It feels, I would say, commensurate to that 3,300 number for Mac. It's a little low, but again, if he gets dinged up, and look, running backs in the NFL get dinged up. Is he capable of rushing for more than 1,000 yards? Of course. Like, he's got some of the sweetest feet in the entire league, I'm telling you, folks. Like, Ramondre Stevenson, everybody looks at his size, and they've said this since he was drafted. Oh, he's a banger. Nope. He's not. He's a dancer. He has but a good excellent one. feet. Like, if, if you love watching running back play, and I do, if you follow my content, you know that I'm a running back stan. Like, Ramondre was like, ooh, this guy isn't what he looks like, and he's better than people think he is. And he's continued to play that out in the pros. So can he go over 1,000? Absolutely. Is Are there some factors that, you know, especially with the Patriots run game, they tend to mix it up. They don't necessarily bell cow it. Um, you know, there's always vulture TDs in the Patriots run game, especially in the low red zone. And, you know, might be him, but might not be him because, again, he's not necessarily a great banger. What's your cutoff for rushing touchdowns where you, where you won't go higher anymore? For Mondre? Yeah. Where I wouldn't go higher. Uh, Ten? He's at six. Mm. You're telling me Ramondre Stevenson isn't going to get more than six touchdowns the entire year? I'm not telling Injury you Injury not not notwithstanding. <laughs> I, th- I think he'll get more than that. Even like, if he what gets, are we doing? Right. Even if he gets a bunch stolen from him by other backs. And, you know, the Patriots are really either good at this from a football sense or bad at this from a fantasy sense. Like, they will grab random player from three spots down the depth chart and go, guess what? You get all the carries from three yards and in. <laughs> and everybody's like, what are you What are you doing? Oh, it's Colts week. Let's have Jonas Gray get four touchdowns because Brett has every other Patriots running back on his <laughs> roster, and we want to screw specifically him. I, I will never forgive them for that, by the way. No, and they're going to do it again. I mean, J.J. Taylor is currently fifth on the depth chart. Love J.J. Taylor. I think he's a really good back. Don't necessarily think he's the low red zone back, but would it surprise me? Um, you know, QB4 right now is Malik Cunningham. Oh, that's where Malik Cunningham ended up. Right, and they've worked him a little bit at wide receiver, which I actually I'm I'm very opposed to just saying, oh, we don't understand him, make him a wide receiver. In Malik's case, I actually think that might be a career-extending move for him. And he could play a little bit of running back on the old 
tap pass, think a lot about the Chiefs offense in the low red zone, all the jet sweeps, tap pass stuff they do. Like, Malik would be an excellent recipient for that. And I can totally see Belichick going on the complete heel turn and being like, guess what? Everything inside the five, we're giving to Malik Cunningham out wide. Julian Edelman 2.0. Yeah. And it's just the Patriots are very interesting that way. So I can see that total being a little bit low. Is it six low? I don't think so. Overall, if you're a Patriots fan and you're more optimistic about their offensive potential, like we are, again, uh, check it out at Underdog Fantasy. Just flip through their NFL uh, season-long pick-em totals because a lot of them are very generous, like like we brought up. And uh, barring injury, seem extremely doable. So just kind of flip through those. And it's not just the Patriots. It's every single team has a few numbers where we're like, okay, sure, fine. Calvin Ridley, cough, cough. Um and if you want to get there super fast, just scan the QR code on oh, the Oh, yeah, screen. I keep forgetting they made that for we us. We got a QR code now. It's so cool. All you have to do is hold your phone up to your monitor if you're watching on TV or on a PC. It's going to take you right to the Underdog Fantasy page if you already have it installed. If you don't, it'll take you to the App Store so you can download the app and then start scoring on all these season-long numbers that we think are a bit goofy. Or if you're on uh, mobile, again, the link is in the description below, and you can just use promo code bootleg. But either way, however you want to do it, thank you to Underdog Fantasy for sponsoring this entire series and sponsoring the entire show for two years and helping us grow like we've been growing. We're up like 35% growth in a month and a half. Like Since this, the start of the summer, yep. This has been nuts. Like this whole <laughs> On this whole more ride. levels than one. Like it's been, it's been hard to make this series. Not gonna lie, as a quick aside, it's been very hard to make this, but it's been so worth it. I, I, I love how it's come out. This is our best life. Like this content, and somebody asked me the other day, uh, you know, because we were talking about the difficulty of making it, and they said, "Do you think it's worth it?" I said, "Absolutely." The results from all of you have been amazing. Um, The growth of the channel uh, has reflected that, but. More so than that, I said, this feels like the content we should be making. Like, this content feels, to me and to us, more like bootleg content than any of the other content we've made. We love that content, but this feels like sort of a culmination. This feels like mountaintop content for us. I think it's the best thing we've ever made. Yeah. And I think it's going to springboard the channel, springboard the brand. Um, and I think the the growth reflects how much people have enjoyed it. And so I think they're going to keep coming back as long as we keep making shit like this. And hopefully, <laughs> again, with the help of everybody watching this and our brand partners and everything, we can we can just keep making stuff like this because yep. it's pretty damn fun. It's cool. And it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. Uh, all right. Sappiness out of the way. Indeed. Not a dry eye in the house. <laughs> Let's talk about free agency. Uh, it was fine. <laughs> For me, I'm trying to be positive, EJ. It was okay. It was okay. It's fine. Speaking of that low red zone hammer, Damian Harris, this one hurts a little bit, not only because he is not a Patriot anymore, but because he is going to be scoring against the Patriots this year. He is a Buffalo Bill now, and they're going to feel that one a little bit. The Bills needed that. They tried to draft it with Zach Moss. That didn't work out. Damon Harris, a proven commodity in that role. Uh, Buffalo needed it. They get him. It's uh, addition by subtraction or 
uh, addition by addition, both ways, you're hurting your rival. Um, so that one I think they're going to feel a little bit. Isaiah Wynn, the right tackle, is now with the Dolphins. Speaking of, again, staying within the division. Um, Johnu Smith moves on to the Falcons. He played about 40% of their snaps. Jacoby Myers signs a big deal with the Raiders to go out and play with Josh McDaniels. 65.6% um, of their snaps and really was a focus of their passing game. Um, they'll have to replace his production, not only his snaps, but his production in the offense. Um, I think Bill O'Brien can do it, but they're going to have to find that guy because say what you want about Jacoby Myers, he was pretty darn reliable in that offense. It was not lost on me, though. Um, it feels so purposeful how you know Jacoby Myers signed a $16 million deal in Vegas total. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, like a day later, signed a $16 million deal in New England. That was interesting. <laughs> Felt like a message a little bit. Fascinating. Oh, yeah? We like the same thing, but different. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I prefer Jacoby Myers. Like, if if you Straight had up. to... Yeah, like, if you had to give me a choice, who do you want on third down, Jacoby Myers or Juju Smith-Schuster, I'd probably go Jacoby Myers. So, it's a win for the Raiders there. You know, yeah. good old Josh McDee. Got himself a, a nice little number two there for Devontae. But uh, I sure would love to know <laughs> the story behind that little contract switcheroo. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Nelson Aguilar moves to the Ravens. Again, he was 45% of their snaps. The receiving court is going to look different, not only in the personnel, but also, we hope, in the routes they're running. So be a lot of fun uh, just from a sort of fascination sense to see what the Patriots pass game really becomes halfway through the season we know what bill o'brien likes to run but again different cast of characters a um, lot of change uh you know at the receiver positions and at the tight end position he's talked about using dual tight ends uh, a la the old patriots dual tight end model um so it'll be fascinating to see sort of how it shakes out in the numbers over say the first half of the season and what it really is versus all the preseason talk about what they want it to be in terms of retentions or extensions Miles Bryant, uh, the corner for them, $2.6 million. Jonathan Jones as well, $9.5 million for another corner, 80% of their snaps. Also held up well. You don't play that much man coverage without having guys that can hold up. Uh, and $9.5 million for a 30-year-old corner seems fair. You know, he, he's he's getting towards the end of the lifespan for a DB, but he's still effective, so throw him $9.5 million. Uh, Jalen Mills, another corner. Getting up there a little bit. He's 29, about to turn 30. Two and a half million for him. Jabril Peppers, already 28. God, I remember when he was coming out of high school. Uh, four and a half million for him as another hybrid uh, safety nickel linebacker type because they can't get enough of those. Juwan Bentley, the human Coke machine, 6.7 million. Pretty nice deal for what he does for them, uh -huh. which is uh, kick ass, chew gum, and stop the run. Uh, Devontae Parker. 5.4 million. Uh, that's fine, I guess, for the current receiver market. Okay. That's fine, I guess. Wow. The most stunning endorsement we've rolled out in this entire hour. I'm just saying, like, Devontae Parker, in terms of ratio of, like, badass highlights to production, mm -hmm. is the weirdest ratio in the league. Because he can do some truly awe-inspiring stuff. Yeah. Once every six weeks. And then the rest, you're kind of like, Hey, bud, where you at? Consistency is a thing, and I 
had much higher hopes for him coming out because you saw the heights and you said, hey, if he can hit these consistently, what we're going to get is, oh, my God. And we've gotten sort of the same thing. One last retention here. Patron, saying a bootleg, baby. Carl Davis, still in the league. Let's go. Had to highlight him. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, the week we met, Senior Bowl 2020, and we were talking football. It was like Wednesday morning, and we were getting a bagel. And we went on a 20-minute soapbox tirade about how we both appreciated Carl Davis. And at the end of that, Honestly, we looked at each other and went, are we the only two people that could have had this conversation? And it was like, yeah, probably. And you got bootleg out of it. So there you go. That was a good plate of barbecue. We got to go back there. Absolutely. But that requires going to Mobile, Alabama in January. And I'm not sure I own enough cold weather clothing for that. So You don't as a Californian. People don't realize like how freaking cold Alabama is in the winter. Like unreasonably cold. I, I grew up in upstate New York. And we had, you know, when I grew up, we had somewhere minimum four to six inches of snow, minimum for five and a half months. Like, it never broke, right? It's a little different these days. <laughs> but at that time, it was plenty bitter cold. We had full weeks of single digits, you know, whiteouts, the whole bit. My buddy that I grew up with in that town said the coldest he's ever been in winter is deer hunting in Alabama in January. It gets your bones, man. Yeah. And not to mention in Mobile specifically, it's on the water. Yep. Breeze picks up and whee. I man, that practice, it was the year that Justin Herbert was coming out and Jalen Hurts was also there and mm -hmm. Jordan Love was there. It was a Tuesday and it was wet and windy and you, it just felt like the ocean was slamming into your face all practice <laughs> long. That was the most uncomfortable that I've been in a while and like i i i truly did not understand uh coastal winter <laughs> until that day he says sitting like two miles from the puget sound but shout out to bootleg og uh danny kelly uh we went out and got uh <laughs> a very warm plate of mexican food after that uh, and alabama just, mexican it's, yeah but uh, sat around like just had our hands over the hot dishes trying to feel our fingers again uh that was a good time good dinner remember the day after that this was like before all the <clears throat> all the processes were established for uh rain delays and stuff at senior bowl and they they had to move practice because of like lightning or something like that to the the usa campus and at that point, like, no media was allowed in. It was, like, literally just NFL Network and coaching staffs and players. And so it's, like, driving rain. And EJ and I sneak up to the hillside <laughs> on the other side of campus, just holding, like, a pair of binoculars, watching, like, a sliver of red zone drills like fucking nerds we are. It was our Bill Murray and Caddyshack moment trying to catch the Gophers. It was a good week, man. It was I miss it. Week. I miss it. We got to go back there. Anyway, uh, third-party additions, outside additions. Riley Reef at $5 million to be presumably their starting right tackle. Juju Smith-Schuster, like we mentioned, uh, $8.5 million cap hit this year, $16 million deal over two years. Brought him in from the Chiefs to be, I guess, another slot receiver because they can't get enough of those. Uh, and then Mike Kosicki, probably the most impactful third-party free agent they brought in at only $4.5 for what he brings to the table, 
uh, I thought was a really, really good signing. I think at minimum, just the red zone impact he can have is going to be well worth that dollar amount. I think the wonder twin powers between Bill O'Brien and Mike Gusecki are what's important here. If they'd brought him in last year with the offensive coaches they had, I would have been like, it's wasted money. They don't know how to use him, and they're probably not going to employ him correctly. With Bill O'Brien and really having two tight ends that he can rotate somewhat interchangeably in certain roles, I think that adds a really fun wrinkle to the offense. And we talked about the wrinkles they like to throw on defense. That could be a really fun wrinkle on offense. Shifting gears now to their draft class, their very large draft class. Let's see how many is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve picks. I, I feel like this is that medieval motion picture where a town crier comes up and drops the scroll and it bounces down the <laughs> stairs because it's like 20 feet long. The CVS receipt of a draft list. That's, that's right. I'm sure. But some real good gems here. Uh, obviously at the top, like their first four picks, well, three picks mostly, I'm absolutely obsessed with. They could have just ended right there and I would have considered that a successful draft. But to also get like Antonio Mafia in round five, uh, you're getting Demario Douglas in round six, who I love. I love Demario Douglas so much. Um, even down to like Isaiah Bolden in round seven, they actually got value all the way through the draft. And this is the first time in a while that I remember the Patriots not just having a couple good picks I like, but like five or six picks that I really, really, truly love. I'm with you. There's six picks in here that I am wild about, and they weren't all up at the top. Two were at the top, two were in the middle, two were a little bit farther down. And 13 overall, they replaced uh, both specialists. They got a kicker and a punter in that 13. Um, certainly took some wild card shots later on down on athletes at the corner position. Um, but let's start right up at the top. There was a lot of early conversation about which way they would go in terms of position and if they went that way at the position who was the player ends up round one pick 17 christian gonzalez the extremely talented corner out of oregon who is just starting to put it all together um dad was a professional basketball player uh his sister's a super high level athlete comes from a whole family of very high level athletes and moves like one can just do things on the football field athletically that are rare at the cornerback position still getting his feet under him as a corner and is already really good but i don't feel at all like he's tapped out in terms of his ceiling i feel he's still got a lot of growing to do in the position and that's an exciting combination and let's be honest they weren't supposed to get him like there was no scenario that we were looking at where christian gonzalez was a patriot i I don't think he ever even fell to their original pick at 14 in any mock drafts like he was always gone in the top 10 And for him to not only go at 17, but to go behind Emmanuel Forbes, who got taken 16, same position, very wrong player. I was stunned. I was flabbergasted. And it was just one of those, of course. Of course he goes to the (laughs) Patriots. Round two, pick 46, Edge Keon White from Georgia Tech. Physical specimen that I think this is a great landing spot for. So he's he's another one of the six that I'm really excited about because of where he landed and because the Patriots are really good at using dudes who have his sort of physical profile, which is ridiculous athletically, 
And they don't so much go, oh, well, is he an edge or is he a defensive end? They'll move him around and find really good spots, put him in really good spots to make plays. I feel better about his pro prospects as a Patriot than I would for almost any other team. He's one of those players that I really liked, but I was like, where does he fit in the league? Not just like position, but team. Like, who's going to be able to use him? He ends up going to New England, and I'm like, mmm, solid. Well, he's another one of these hybrid three technique four eyes five technique edges (laughs) you know the answer is yes for what he plays but he's another one of these uh, patriots type defensive linemen where we can line him up anywhere you know four point stance three point stance two point stance anywhere from a guard on out Mm -hmm. and he can do things athletically that most defensive linemen just can't do like there was a there was a rep that uh, Taylor Kyles, if you're not familiar with Taylor Kyles, by the way, you, you should be if you're a Patriots fan. Uh, <laughs> he writes for CLNS and he's like the Patriots beat writer for CLNS. Uh, newly minted, just got out there this summer, but you know he watches a lot of tape and he knows everything about the Patriots. So if you want any sort of Patriots coverage day by day, go follow Taylor Kyles. But uh, after he got drafted he posted this rep from Keon White where he's playing five technique and he has to carry a wheel route down the boundary on like a peel alert. (laughs) And he did it as a five technique. He's carrying wheel routes. Athletically, like like Georgia tech has a long history of turning out some wild athletes at all positions, Um, especially wide receiver. Uh, And some of these guys that play, edge five they've had some linebackers that have been nuts keanu white just continues that tradition of like rambling wreck guys that are nuts athletically and i don't think there's a better use for that in the nfl than landing with a team like the patriots that isn't so bound to position specific role you got to do this you can only do this we're not going to have you do this they're going to move him around he's going to have impact because he's look he's an impactful athlete yep Round three, pick 76. We've talked about him a couple times. They list him as a safety. Call him a linebacker. Call him whatever you want. Marte Mapu, Sacramento State, had a great senior bowl. Um, was a guy that I we got his tape uh, later in the process, so I went back to him later in the process because I could watch him. And, again, was fascinated with his usage there and, again, thought, this is Duggar 2.0. Like mm-hmm. I don't think he's as good physically, but he is as versatile, and he could grow into that role. And so few players can can absolutely see what we call the path of playing time. Um, round four, pick 107, center Jake Andrews from Troy. I'm giving him a pass. The Patriots can pick offense, pick and develop offensive linemen. So whether or not I think this was a great pick or a poor one, I am not going to speak ill of it because I will be wrong. <laughs> I love how we're just acknowledging that that you know what small school offensive linemen we'll give that one to you Bill fine <laughs> their hit rate up and down the board for linemen in general is really ridiculous obviously during all the Dante Scarnecki years uh-huh. like they pretty much couldn't miss um, but they've continued that and their third pick in round four, only five picks later at 117, another one of the six I really like. They have him listed as offensive guard here, but he's been playing offensive tackle for the last oh, couple of days Oh, that I didn't see. Yeah, just happened within like the last 48 hours. City So from Eastern Michigan, he's a dude. 
Yeah. He is a wrecker. His torque, uh, grip strength, forearm power, unreal. He messed some guys up on tape. Uh, complete ass kicker. Love, love, love this pick. Uh, round five, pick 144. Guy we got to sit down with at the Shrine Bowl. Offensive guard, Antonio Maffi from UCLA. Love, love, love this player. Also, a former defensive lineman. Yes. Coached by friend of the show, Coach Vass. If you guys know Coach Vass. Yep. Uh, which you should because he's one of the most brilliant football media people anywhere and uh pretty much every single football media person goes to vast with questions on stuff because he knows everything (laughs) um but yeah he uh he played in high school under coach vass and if you can believe it you can because it's maniacal um when he was like 320 as a senior in high school, he put him at six technique over a tight end. And, you know, high school tight ends are like 185 pounds. And he just said, Antonio, go kill that dude. And he did. Every snap. Bury him. <laughs> vicious, but we appreciate it, Vass. It's the right kind of vicious. Uh, round six, pick 187. Keisha Boutte, wide receiver from LSU. Um, athletically, very, very talented. Lots of questions off the field. Um, has not exactly lit up Patriots camp. Didn't well, see. He had a couple bounce back days the last couple days, but largely it's been whelming. Yes, to, to say the least. Round six, it's a wild card pick. If he works out, they look brilliant. If not, it's pick one eighty seven overall. Probably okay with it. Another pick in round six, one ninety two. This is where they get the punter, Bryce Barriner from Michigan State. Uh, another pick in round six. Wait, there's one more after this, but this one's the one I really like. 210 wide receiver Demario Douglas from Liberty. Sat down and talked to him. Um, he had a Shrine Bowl week that was, I think, like reminiscent of Kyle Phillips. It was not at the same level. Mm-hmm. He didn't kill everybody, but every time you turn around, he was getting separation, catching, keeping his feet in bounds. He just looked, nothing looked too big for him. He was a little bit quieter about it than Kyle. He wasn't cooking guys all the time, but he seemed like he was always open, always catching the ball. Um, it was very quiet when he talked to him, very humble, very matter-of-fact. Um, and both of us kind of looked at each other and went, yeah, it's just a really good receiver. Like, th- there wasn't anything that stuck out in terms of like, oh, he's really tall or, oh, he's super fast. He's quick, but we were just like, that, that guy just knows how to play receiver. And he was one of the first guys that I actively saw because he was under O'Brien. O'Brien was coaching uh, the receivers for the Patriots coaching staff at Shrine Bowl. Uh, And DeMario was one of the first guys that I saw Bill actively pull aside and coach one-on-one. And that's where I was kind of like, huh, interesting. If they don't get Zay, and and everybody knew they were obsessed with Zay. Like, that was no secret. Um, I was like, if they don't get Zay... There's something there. Like, Bill seems to really like this kid. Lo and behold, he's there in the sixth round. And Bill said, give me DeMario Douglas. And he's been lighting up camp uh, every day, making at least a couple of catches that get reported by Patriots beat writers. Um, Last pick in round six, I promise, 214. Cornerback Amir Speed from Michigan State. So they had a pretty Michigan-heavy draft uh, overall for the Patriots. And then round seven, pick 245. Cornerback Isaiah Bolden from Jacksonville State freak athlete he's 6'2 200 pounds 4'3 speed 38 inch vert 33 inch arms or at least just under 33 inch arms that's a patriots corner if i've ever seen one 
And it's the lottery pick that you take in the seventh round. Big, long, fast, we'll work it out. Yeah. Like, come play for us. Turns like a battleship in a glacier, but boy, he's got everything else. Uh, beyond Bolden and Douglas and Mafi and all the other actual draft picks, all 12 of them, uh, looking at their UDFA haul, not a super big one, but they got a couple guys that, that maybe possibly have a chance to make the roster. You brought up Malik Cunningham. I didn't even realize that they had Malik Cunningham, but we got to mention him uh, just because I think he's a talented kid. Uh, whether it's at quarterback or wide receiver, we'll see, but... Wouldn't be shocked if he beat out Trace McSorley for QB3. Also wouldn't be shocked if he beat out some people for like wide receiver six because athletically he is that talented. So uh, I'm going to keep an eye on that one for sure. Uh, and then Justice Tavai, is he related to Jelani? I don't know if he is, but he's a player that I liked pre-draft. And the really interesting thing about Tavai is he was signed after minicamp. Hmm. So he was a minicamp invite only. He was not signed as a priority UDFA. And very few of these guys around the league make this transition. You basically get invited for what is a two-day tryout. It's a weekend camp. And there can be anywhere 8, 10, some teams like the Colts will bring in 13, 15 minicamp tryouts. They just want to get their hands on guys, maybe look at some medical stuff, see how they move. And it's very cursory. They're going through really basic drills. They're doing basic installs. And it's difficult to show out enough over a two-practice period, maybe one set of meetings on Friday night, that the team basically comes up and says, hey, here's your golden ticket, we're going to sign you. There's a handful of guys around the league that get that chance, and Justice Devay out of San Diego State turned the Patriots' eye enough that he is on the roster now. And if there is one thing we know about the Patriots, it's they're going to give people a chance. You know, the, the roster churn there is always crazy. Um, it's definitely a meritocracy. Like, you will earn your keep in New England. Um, and if he's going to get a real shot anywhere, it's going to be there. Because they love giving uh, not just small school kids, but not the San Diego State. It's like a super <laughs> I was going to say. But uh, unheralded prospects. They love giving them real shots. Yeah. Because everybody has a chance there. So, uh, good story there. That brings us to our final couple segments. Uh, we got the report card and then ceiling and floor in wins. Report card, if you're not familiar with this segment, uh, we're basically grading the progression of four categories from the end of last season until now. It's front office, coaching staff, offensive talent, defensive talent. Where are we now relative to eight months ago, I guess, or whatever the timeline is. Front office. We're going to go with neutral because mainly it hasn't changed in like two decades. Uh, and, and again, not negative, not positive, neutral. There wasn't a whole lot of major roster churn in free agency. They mostly relied on the draft, which we can't really grade yet. So it's not fair to go up or down based on a draft for all these kids that haven't played yet. So we'll go neutral there. Coaching staff. I mean, swapping out Patricia for O'Brien, has there been any coordinator spot around the league that is a larger upgrade than that? Probably not. Like, maybe, you know, Lombardi to Kellen is close, but, like, I still think the the gap from Patricia to O'Brien is bigger. Uh, it's, it's a massive, massive up here just for that alone. Offensive talent, um, it's mostly the same. 
But when you add in Gesicki, um, I guess if you're swapping Myers for Juju, it's not like that big of a difference, even though I prefer Myers. But you also are adding in Reef. You're adding in some of the rookies that we really like. Um, ideally, we're getting actual contribution from Pierre Strong, meaning him actually getting snaps this year. Uh, I would I would say it's fair to consider the slightest of up arrows here for offensive talent, but I don't want to oversell it. It's it's not like we're taking a huge leap, but it is a leap. It is it is ever so slightly. And just to be fair, we don't combine the coaching with it. Obviously, Bill O'Brien coming back is going to have a large effect on these players, but really just looking at the roster itself, I really like the ad of Gitsiki. We already talked about that in combination with O'Brien. In this category, it's just the ad itself. Um, Juju, solid player, but again, replaces a solid player. So this is like the, the needle's barely flickering, but it's flickering up. Defense, this one's more pronounced. They were already great. But adding in Christian Gonzalez into this, adding in the raw materials of Keon White, um, adding in Marte Mapu when he gets fully healthy again. In addition to everything they already had on this unit, like they were already nightmarish to play against. It's so much worse now. Like the battle between this defense and Miami's offense, the Jets offense, the Bills offense twice a year each time that individual unit versus unit battle is biblical that is awesome like that is must see tv to me so even if you're not a patriots fan and you happen to still be watching this episode please please watch those division games in the afc east because just this defense against those offenses by itself is worth the price of admission and they were already so damn good and now they're even better Belichick is a tremendous game planner, one of the best ever. Um, is doing less of that, is handing off more uh, both to you know his one son, both sons. Like you said, uh, Mayo's being groomed to eventually, probably, we think, maybe take over as D.C., so maybe a little bit less day-to-day, but we even saw it at Shrine Bowl because the Patriots staff was the coaching staff for the Shrine Bowl. We saw Belichick. He didn't coach a ton. He definitely let his assistants do it, but he can't help it. He is an inveterate football coach. And there were certain things that just either got his ire up or he just couldn't help but go over and go, no, no, come here, come here. No, this elbow goes here. He was grabbing DTR a lot. I was convinced they were going to take DTR. And they probably would have if they didn't get snaked by Cleveland. But he took a keen interest and he in ends up with Malik him. Cunningham, which is yeah. a poor man's DT, a very poor man's DTR. But um, he, the ability for Bill Belichick to game plan, especially against the teams he knows he's going to see twice a year that he's seen, you know, every year for the last twenty five years, it's he always has something in the bag for them, and they never really seem to get on top of the Patriots scheme wise. Talent-wise, they've absolutely been overwhelmed. Um, Coaching-wise on offense, last year they got absolutely swamped. On defense, they just don't get run. They refuse to die. Yeah. That's the big thing is even if they start out slow, by October, like by Halloween, they're always a threshing machine every single year. Maybe not on offense anymore. It used to be on offense and on defense. Now it's just on defense. But God. Halfway through the year, 
they're always just a pain in the ass to play against. Because at that point, they figured out what they can and can't do. Yeah. And once they're done with their little six-week self-scouting in the beginning of the season, <laughs> when they're like, oh, okay, cool, yeah, we can't call quarters. We're not going to get away with that. Let's just never call quarters again yeah. and call cover one only. <laughs> because that's what we're good at, and we know we can do it. So uh, must-see TV, I would agree. AFC East battles against the Patriots. It's you know largely other AFC East offenses versus Patriots defense. Always worth the watch. All right. Ceiling and floor. We danced around it too much now. As much as we've talked them up, and as much as we've acknowledged by EPA last year, even with everything that went wrong, they were a top 10 team. I still can't bring myself to put their ceiling higher than 10 wins. And it's not necessarily because I don't believe in them. But again, it's an acknowledgement that every single AFC East team is going to rip off three losses from them, just like they're going to rip off wins against those guys. So there's three losses right there because they're probably going to split. They're playing against the NFC East. Like, they're literally opening against the Eagles. Good God. And then they got the Dolphins after that, and then the Jets, and the Cowboys. Then they're playing against a tough Saints defense. It's over and over and over. Like, they're playing against Washington in the middle of the season. Like, that's not a break. That's not a vacation. Going up against that defensive line. Anthony Richardson by November is probably going to be full speed at that point. And it's a very talented Colts team. You know, they're playing against the Steelers and the Chargers and the Chiefs. And it just goes on and on and on. It's a murderer's row of a schedule. So just getting double-digit wins is an accomplishment. I think Patriots fans will be ecstatic if they got to 10 because that means they survived this year and maybe made a run at a six seed. I don't think that they lose, or I don't think that they win less than eight, so my floor is eight, but getting anything higher than 10 just seems like an impossible task. It is going to be a steep climb if they do. Floor, I'll match you at eight. I just don't think Belichick allows them to go below that. I'm going to go for 11, and it is, again, ceiling is if everything goes right, and I think Bill O'Brien can get the offense up to speed very quickly. Again, there weren't defensive losses. If anything, there were just defensive gains in terms of personnel. So they're going to be starting very quickly, sort of already on page 15 of the book. Um, they could be shutting people down early in the season. They're still going to do that five, four or five week self-scouting period. They do that every year, but they could be very good quickly. They're going to have to be against that schedule. It's a buzzsaw in the first five weeks. But if everything goes correctly, I could see 11 wins on this team. It's still six losses, right? Things mm -hmm. would have to break the right way, and that would be an excellent season. They would absolutely be in the playoffs with that mark and a team that, again, nobody wants to play late in the year. Um, so I could see under ideal conditions, you know, Mac has a real rebound. Maybe Juju Smith-Schuster meshes and says, oh, this is the role I've been looking for. Ramondre is Ramondre and stays healthy. Like, it's very possible. This is a very talented team. The defense just continues to be good. There's no reason to think they won't. And the offense gets good quickly. I can see 11, but that's best-case scenario. They got to hit a lot of green lights in a row. 100%. Like, literally all the green lights <laughs> yeah. in a row. Yeah. But it's technically possible. Yeah. Overall, you know, I, I think we've conveyed the message properly we like this team we acknowledge the reality of their schedule but we like this team uh -huh. we think they're going in the right direction we think if if they have another good draft coming up here in 2024 
uh, and just kind of keep infusing this roster with offensive talent around Mac. They have real potential to make a run here in a year or two. Maybe not this year, but they're close, and they're closer than people think. Yeah, if they go out and get a wide receiver in next year's draft, that is the version of Zay Jones that they or Zay Flowers that they didn't get this year. That's going to add something. They don't really have that right now, and we talk about it for growth for young quarterbacks. How important it is, um, you know, in terms of everybody uses Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts in their third year. Well, this is Max third year. He doesn't have that player, but if he gets him in the fourth year, it's going to make the same level bump for him. So. Again, one more, one more run, one more bite at the apple offensively. Um, if they're building off what is a double-digit win year, whether it's ten or eleven wins, maybe even twelve, if they get lucky. Fine, like that could be a place where you add a couple more pieces on offense. You know which ones you really want to keep. You're always going to have a solid offensive line. Your defense is rock solid. They're just going to make some noise. If you want to come back for the rest of the AFC East, we got Dolphins tomorrow, and they are <laughs> their roster is all the way there. Yeah. <laughs> like the, they their roster is where we need the Patriots to be in a year or two. But Miami's there; they're ready to go. Uh, then we got the Bills the day after that, and then we are picking a division winner on Friday, and then we are done with this series, and we're going to be well into preseason at that point. So, uh, if you're a Patriots fan, you enjoyed this. Make sure to come back for the rest of this week so you can get a good look at your division opponents and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this make sure to go to homage by the way to check out our clothing partner uh, they have an nfl license so they have designs for every single team like 30 something designs for every single team they're all awesome the materials are unbelievably soft and comfortable and any purchase you make directly benefits the show so you don't even have to buy bootleg merch just buy merch that supports your favorite team and also support us at the same time yeah, use the link in the description. We get a cut of all those proceeds. If we keep our sponsors happy, they keep us happy. We keep you happy because we make more content. Make sure to come back tomorrow, same time, same place, to look at the Dolphins. And until then, cheers. Cheers.